go. It's great to see you, and it's great to be in the house of the Lord on the first day of the week in this very special time that we have to share in the blessings of assembly, to, to, to share, to rejoice in the promises that we share as children of God through Jesus Christ, and to re, be reminded of those things that are most important in life. And again, we thank you for your presence uh, here this morning and for the contribution that you make uh, to the assembly by your presence here. We've been studying for the past, uh, really for most of the year, a, a series of studies that are built around the foundational truths of who we are in Christ Jesus, going back and looking to the beginnings of the church, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and, and the great commission that he gave to the apostles uh, following his resurrection and prior to his ascension, and then, then the fulfillment of that that we find in Acts chapter 2. And we're going we're gonna to summarize some of those things uh, real quickly. Uh, we've talked about the great commission that Jesus told the apostles to go and preach the gospel to all people of all nations. He said that those who believed the gospel, the gospel being the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus, eternal God, was born into this world, the Son of God, that He became flesh, that He walked among us, that He gave us the words of life, that He came for the purpose of giving Himself a sacrifice for our sins, of paying for our sins on Calvary being buried and raised again according to the foreknowledge of God and the plan of God, that through him we have, may have forgiveness of sins and that we may have the promise of eternal life. That is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his apostles, preach this to everyone, and those who believe and are baptized will be saved. They will have the forgiveness of sins. And he says, and then you teach them, to observe all the things that I have commanded you. You teach, you teach those who believe and are baptized to follow all of these things. He said, but before you begin, he said, you remain in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. And so, when the day of Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise of the sending of the Holy Spirit, and we see the Great Commission carried out for the first time in the preaching of the apostles. And so we see the, the Holy Spirit came upon them that through the Holy Spirit, Peter preached the gospel to the assembled crowd, which included devout Jews from out of every nation under heaven. And when they heard the words that were spoken by Peter, they said, what shall we do? And Peter answered them, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is to you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then they who gladly received his word were baptized. And then the next verse says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread into prayers. And so these are some of the things that we have been focusing on this month are these practices, the things that the early church 
did together, the things they were bound together. Let's, let's back up a minute. They had a special bond because of the things that they shared. These people who had just become the first fruits of the gospel of Christ, the first members of Christ's church. And they had a very special bond. They were unified in their faith because they were believers in Jesus Christ. They were unified in their experience. They had been born again through the gospel with an eternal destiny. They were unified in their identity. They were the redeemed of Christ and citizens of his kingdom, the church. They were unified in purpose, that of glorifying God in their lives, and they were unified in their mission to hold up the truth of God and to carry the gospel to the lost. And so we've talked about these things they did together that strengthened that bond that they had, that they continued steadfastly. Brother John talked to us about the apostles' doctrine, that they continued steadfastly in the teachings of the apostles, those things that Jesus had commanded them and that they were reminded of through the Holy Spirit. Through fellowship, they were together and in breaking of bread, they did this together and from house to house and in prayers. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the last part of that verse. We're going to talk about praying together. Prayer has always been an integral part of the daily lives of God's people. I hope that's true in your life and in my life today. Prayer is so important and fundamental to us. If you look in the book of Acts, there is a reference to prayer in 13 of the first 14 chapters of Acts. It was something that was prevalent in the early church. In 16 of the first 20 chapters, there's references to prayer, and in 20 of the total 28 chapters of Acts, there's these references. When we look at the letters of the Apostle Paul to the churches and to individuals, in almost every one of those letters, the Apostle Paul will mention his thankfulness and that he gives thanks to God for them, for those Christians, for those fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and that he always remembers them in his prayers. And he also asks them in almost every letter to pray for him and to pray for those who are with him. So prayer was something, again, that was very fundamental to the early church and something that is very fundamental to us as children of God. Prayer is, should be, as fundamental to God's people as breathing. (laughs) So you think about that. It's not something we have to remind ourselves to do, right? It should be that ingrained in us as people, as the children of God, that prayer should be, almost, should be as fundamental us, to us as literally breathing. A lot of our teaching on prayer is generally around our individual prayer life, which is very important and, and certainly uh, very key and, and, again, very fundamental. And, and Jesus taught us that when we pray, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't go pray on the street corner so that people will see you and you want to appear like you're righteous to other people. He said, you go into your closet and you pray to God who, in, who hears you in secret but will reward you openly. But a lot of the Bible's teaching um, is not only applicable to us as individuals, it's applicable to us as Christians, that we share in that, that we, that we are encouraged and that we are taught that we should also uh, pray together. Instructions such as pray without ceasing, which was written to the church at Thessalonica, and of course to all Christians, and also uh, 
pray, to not worry about anything, but to pray about everything is something that we apply individually, but we also apply, apply as a congregation of God's people. So, before I jump there, so I want to look this morning real quickly at three examples of community prayer, of praying together that we find in the book of Acts, and, and pull from that some things that we can learn from, or some takeaways that we can uh, take from those those examples. The first example I want to talk about, we actually found in Acts chapter 1. So immediately when, when the apostles had, were there on the Mount of Olives and they were witnesses to the ascension of Jesus, the scripture says that they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called, called, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying and he lists the apostles, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And so the 11 remaining apostles, they were all together when they came back to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so what does it say? They had witnessed the ascension of Jesus. They had received the Great Commission. They were told to wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. And what were they doing? They were continuing in one accord. They were together. And what were they doing? They were praying. They were praying continuously. They had been given a mission, the Great Commission. And they were told to wait to begin that until they had received the Holy Spirit. And so they were watching and they were waiting and they were praying with one accord, that they were doing this together. Here's our lesson. (laughs) Here's our takeaway. In any ministry or activity, work or service that we plan and do, we should always begin by praying together. So any, any work, any activity that we're going to do together, whether as a congregation or as individuals working together in God's kingdom, Prayer should always be an integral part of that. We should always begin by prayer and asking for God's blessings and guidance and success and His glory in whatever it is that we're seeking to do. That was, act, that was number one. Okay, example number two. <clears throat> you know what's remarkable when you look at the history of the church and the history of God's people is that we have always faced opposition. Did you know that? God's people have always been at war spiritually. We have always had opposition. There has always been those who would, who would seek to uh, keep us from doing what God wants us to do. That, that has always been true. And when we look at the events of Acts chapter 2 and the wonderful beginning of the church and 3,000 people become Christians, we only have to go advance a chapter, which is shortly thereafter, that we began to see the opposition. Of course, the church was born in opposition, wasn't it? Those who were opposed to Jesus, who put him to death, even though it was by the foreknowledge of God, the opposition has always been there to God and to God's people. So we come to Acts chapter 3, and what do we see? Peter and John entered the temple at the hour of prayer, and they heal a man who has been lame his whole life. So Peter and John, they're, they're going to the temple. It's, it's the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, our time. And as they go in, there's a man who's, who's been lame, and he's looking, he's asking them for alms. And remember, Peter says, I, silver and gold have I none, but I give to what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, 
take arise and walk and this man who has never walked in his life suddenly is strengthened in his legs he begins to walk and to leap and he goes into the temple praising God and this draws attention from all the people or a lot of the people are in that area the temple is a huge place and at any given time there are thousands of people in and around the temple and so when this event happens this man is praising God and he's jumping up and down and people realize who he is he was lame and they wonder what's happened. And so Peter seizes this opportunity to preach the gospel. We go to Acts chapter 4 and we continue there. And the Jewish leaders, when they see what's happening, they are greatly disturbed by the preaching of Jesus. And so they immediately round up and arrest Peter and John. And then the, the next day, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin tell them, we don't want you preaching in the name of this Jesus anymore, and we'll let you go. And Peter and John, you know, this is their first real test, right? This is the first real opposition that they have faced since they've started carrying out that great commission, since they've received the Holy Spirit, and they are carrying out the works that Jesus called them to do. <clears throat> and they are brought before the Sanhedrin, the great council of the Jewish people, the Supreme Court, so to speak. And these people are telling them, you don't do this anymore. And what do Peter and John say? They say, you answer, is it better for us to do what you say or to do what God says? And they say, but we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and know of Jesus Christ. That so we're not going to stop. And so they, they talk among themselves and they come to the conclusion, we cannot deny what these men have done. This miracle that they have performed, we cannot deny this. Therefore, we're just going to threaten them, which they did. You don't do this anymore or you're going to be in big trouble. And they let them go, not being able to deny the miracles that was performed. Verse 23 and 24 of Acts chapter 4 says this, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that, is them, all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nation rage and the people's plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and with all the people, people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to the heel and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, <clears throat> they took the place... <clears throat> When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so God heard their prayer. God answered their prayer. <clears throat> Again, this is the first experience of persecution of the faith that they, these had, that they had experienced. So one of the things that we take away here is that in all of our efforts, in all of our efforts that it is God who it is God who gives us success and victory and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself let me let me back up a minute <clears throat> once released they went to the other apostles and probably others and reported what had happened so immediately 
They go to those they are closest to. They go to those who they share this bond with, this bond of Christianity, and they report what has happened. And together, they rejoiced and praised God. Again, this was their first trial, the first time they had experienced this opposition. And it was something that they knew was going to happen, and they had passed the test. And they had witnessed the power of God in their deliverance. They recognized the current events as fulfillments of things that God had prophesied through David and the prophets, and they glorified God. So they recognized that what they were going through had been prophesied in the Old Testament, in the Old Scriptures, that they were participants in the plan of God and things were happening to them as had been prophesied, just as they had happened to the Lord. And they prayed for more boldness to preach God's Word. So they were not, you know, we, we think back when Jesus was arrested and what did the apostles do? They hid for fear. What's happening now? They are, they are bold. Having witnessed the resurrection of Christ, having been um, given the mission by Jesus to carry out, having this purpose in their life, they are emboldened. And so rather than fearing what is happening, they pray for boldness. They pray for strength and boldness to stand up for God's truth. They pray finally for God's provision. And whatever we do, again, the success does not come from us, but the success and victory is provided by the Lord. So the takeaways for us, number one, just like the apostles, just like the early Christians recognize that we are called to share in that same mission of carrying the gospel of Christ to the lost today. And also recognize in that that you and I will face opposition. Our lives will not be without opposition and without persecution. The scripture tells us if we will live godly in Christ Jesus that we are going to face those things. Number two, rejoice in the success of Christ's mission wherever and whenever it happens. We need the encouragement of those good good events, don't we? And that's something we need to share with each other. We need to do a better job probably of doing that, and we'll try to do that going forward. But any time a new soul is brought to Christ, it is something that we should rejoice in. Anytime that we, are, we, we or our brethren face persecution and overcome those things, we should rejoice in those things. And finally, that we should pray for boldness. That you and I should pray for boldness. Because we know we're facing opposition, that opposition would try to silence us. Just like the, Jewish, the Jews tried to silence the apostles. We can give in to that and hold our tongues or we can do this. We can pray to God for boldness. Give us boldness. Give us courage, Father, to, to stand up and speak your truth and your word uh, when we have that opportunity and for God to provide the strength that we need in all those situations. Okay, that's number two. Okay, final, the final example we want to look at quickly. So uh, the reading uh, this morning from Acts chapter 12, and thank, thank Raleigh for that reading. Um, we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to go to the very first verse. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. This is Herod Agrippa. About that time is about 14 years after the events that we read in Acts chapter 2. We know that because in this chapter, we read, we're going to read We're not going to read it this morning, but we read about the death of this Herod Agrippa, and it, his death is 
recorded in history and happened in A.D. 44. The events of Acts chapter 2, we believe, happened in A.D. 30. So this is some 14 years earlier, later. So the church is 14 years old at this point. There's a lot that has happened between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 12. Um, one of the things, well, let's, let's continue and then we'll talk about that. So it says, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. <clears throat> that it's, sometimes it's striking, the simplicity with, with, with which the writers of the Holy Scriptures present something. This was not a minor thing. This was James the Apostle, the brother of John. And suddenly, the church which had been had relative peace for some period of time is facing real persecution. And they are shocked into that reality by what happens to their brother James. <clears throat> he was a pillar in the church. He was someone that they had known from the beginning of the church and the beginning of their Christianity. And in this cruel way to please the Jews, Herod reaches out and he takes, he arrests James and he swiftly and suddenly puts him to death. <clears throat> so we talked about that there was peace for some time. You know, when we look again at the early church, there was persecution right off the bat. The Jews were opposed to them. And then that persecution became very extreme in a very short period of time. And the main instigator of that was someone that you and I know very well. We know him as the Apostle Paul, but at that time he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was a terror to the church. <clears throat> he, was, he was having people put in prison and put to death, and he was making havoc of the church. And then we read about Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. This happened in approximately A.D., according to Historians 34, so some four years after the birth of the church. In that, there in Acts chapter 9, following Paul's conversion in a short time after, verse 31 says this, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And so from around A.D. 34 to 37, up to this period of time when Herod puts James to death, a period of somewhere around seven years, there is relative peace and growth in the church. And then suddenly, persecution rises, raises its head again. And not only was James put to death, it says, and because he, being Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews. So Herod was a political character, and he, he uh, I guess, was a proselyte Jew. Um, but according to historians, Herod made peace between Rome and the Jewish people. He, he was kind of the, the intermediary there, and, and he kept relative peace there. But what we find out later is that following the death of Herod in this chapter, that that peace is going to deteriorate and will ultimately result in God's providential destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So this is the beginning of that, and it is certainly it, it, would be a de, it is a defeat for the Jews. But he reaches out, he sees it, pleases the Jews. He proceeded further to seize Peter also. And now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when they had arrested him, he, 
He was put in prison. He, was del- he delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So there's a lot of things going on right here, um, if we think about it a little bit with Peter. Number one, the, the, the church is already shocked because they have, they have witnessed the execution of James. And not only that, now Peter, Peter has also been arrested, and, the, and certainly they are fearing the worst. Herod wants to make sure that, that Peter cannot escape. He puts four squadrons of soldiers in charge of making sure that Peter cannot escape. That would be 16 soldiers for one person. Uh, that seems like a little overkill. Uh, but, but Herod's trying to make sure because, you know, if we go back and look at some events that had happened early in the church, you remember when the apostles uh, were, were arrested one time and they were, they were put in prison and the Sanhedrin was going to bring him out the next day and in the middle of the night, God opens the, opens the gates of the prison, releases them, and he tells them, the Lord, through the angel, tells them, go stand in the, in the, in the uh, temple and, and preach the gospel. So when they come out the next day, they're <laughs> expecting to bring them out. They're already gone. And not only, only are they gone, they're right back doing what they told them not to do, as God commanded them to do, preach the gospel. So, so this was certainly something that Herod was aware of. And so he, he, wasn't, he wasn't taking any chances of this type of thing happening again. And so he's got 16 soldiers there to guard Peter to make sure that he doesn't escape and he puts him in he puts him in the prison and if we look at the circumstances here we you know it doesn't look too good for Peter you know and there had to be a lot of things that were going through the mind of Peter also look at the timing of when this event happens it's at Passover he had to look back at the crucifixion of Jesus which had happened when at the time of Passover you remember what what happened when Jesus was crucified and, and Peter, remember, had, he, that was the, the time when, G, when he denied Jesus three times. And this was something that always, I think, was hurtful to Peter. There's something he would never forget that he had done this. And remember, following Jesus' resurrection, that he restored Peter. When he, when, he, when he was there on the shore and he cooked the fishes for them, and, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter says, no, I love you, Lord. And he tells him, feed my sheep. He, he calls him back to his service that he was called to. But you remember what else Jesus told Peter? He said, one of these days, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. In fact, that the words that he says, he says, More assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish speaking of the death by which he would glorify God of Peter. Peter had to be thinking, this is it. This is it. This is, this is my appointed time that Jesus told me about. So in Peter's mind, this, I mean, the Scripture doesn't say that. This is my assumption, assuming that some things that Peter probably was thinking or could have been thinking. <clears throat> Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. <clears throat> this is interesting too, isn't it? <clears throat> the church is suddenly under attack. Think about what we might be thinking if suddenly we came under attack today. Would we be going home to pull the AR-15 out of the 
I mean, you know, what would we be doing? Would we be preparing to defend ourselves, to keep ourselves from harm and arrest, getting ready for war? What's our example? No. Who's in control? God's in control. Who is our protection from? It's from God. What are they doing? They're praying. I don't know in how many different places they're praying. The last count that we have in Acts of how large the church was before the persecution spread them, that there were at least 5,000 men and above that women and children. So, I don't know, 10, 12, 15,000 maybe at, at, at a given time. How many were at the, in the church at Jerusalem at this time? I don't know, but wherever they were, they were probably gathered in houses praying. And constant, the scripture says that constant prayer was being offered by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So there were guards before the door. There were guards right there beside Peter, and he's asleep. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by and as a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, Put your garment on and follow me. So Peter's asleep. <laughs> Suddenly he gets smacked on the side, and he's told, Get up, get dressed, and let's go. And so Peter does. And he's going along. And so he went and followed, and he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. That, that should not surprise us. Peter was acquainted with visions. We just read about a vision that Peter was given in the previous chapters. Back in chapters 10 and 11, when, when Peter uh, preached the gospel to the Gentiles, and we see the first additions to the church of Gentile people there. And on that occasion that Peter was given a vision, to show him that God, it was God's plan to bring all people into his church. Not only Jews, which there only were up to that point, but all people. To carry out the commission to preach the gospel to every creature, to all people. And so he thinks he's, he's not sure if this is real or if this is a vision. But when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. It was a great gate. <clears throat> By the way, Brother Aaron uh, taught us on Acts chapter 12 uh, earlier. If you're here on Wednesday nights, you probably remember that. And he, he did a really good job, which we don't have time to do today. But just a, a plug here that if, you're, if you have an opportunity to be here on Wednesday nights to, to continue in the study of Acts, it's a fascinating study. Um, it opened of its own accord and they went out and he went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know of a certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod, Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. <clears throat> Peter realized that he had been spared, that it was not his time, that this was not God's intention, at least to this point. <clears throat> Eventually, he would do that. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Again, the emphasis, you know, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the words of the Scripture are not there by accident. They all have purpose. And in this story, on more than one point, on more than one occasion, we've seen that 
The Holy Spirit is telling us what is going on in the church, that they are praying. Why is the scripture telling us that? And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced, announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said it is his angel. So we assume that they are there praying for Peter. Are they, they, are either, they could be praying for his release. They could be praying for his strength to endure what he's facing. All of those things they could be praying for. But, but obviously, they were not expecting him to show up at the door. <clears throat> now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished, but motioning, he motioning to them with his hand said to keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, Go and tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. What's going to happen the next day is Herod's going to be out there looking for Peter. Peter does not want these people to know where he is. He does not want Herod to use them or to punish them for his escape. And so Peter uh, goes to another place. And he, wherever he went, he knew a good place because Herod never found him. And so we're going to find the next day again. Herod searches. He doesn't find Peter and so what does he do? He executes the soldiers who had been given charge to keep Peter. And then he goes off to Caesarea. And then it is at Caesarea we find the occasion of Herod's death, and we won't go into that now. But understand that it was by God's hand that Herod was put to death. But then the very next verse says this, But the word of God, this is after the death of Herod, grew and multiplied. <clears throat> In carrying out the gospel and standing up for the truth of God, we are always going to face opposition. And sometimes we are going to face obstacles that to us seem to be unsurmountable. <sighs> That's what it certainly probably seemed like to the church and to Peter at this time. But what do we learn? Number one, we learn that God hears our prayers. Number two, we learn that God answers our prayers. And number three, we learn that the earnest prayers and pleadings of God's people and the power of God can accomplish amazing things. <clears throat> that no matter how great the obstacles appear that we face, we should not allow those to silence us, to frustrate us, uh, to keep us from doing what God has called us to do, but we need to go to God in prayer and pray that those things be relieved. Finally, in conclusion, the importance of praying together. What, is, what do we gain from praying together? Number one, praying together strengthens our faith and our bond in Christ. It unifies our hearts and puts our focus on the things of God. It reminds us of who we are, the redeemed in Christ. It reminds us that we are called together in one body in Christ. It reminds us of our purpose in Him to glorify Him, of our mission to carry the gospel to the lost, of our calling to love and serve one another. And so in conclusion, here's your homework. <laughs> we are people of prayer. We need to find more ways to engage each other in prayer. If you're not only already doing so, create new habits. I think probably all of us pray at times of meals. And when I'm saying create new habits, find other times to purposely with your family or with your spouse to set aside time just to pray. 
Make a point of praying together any time that you are with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is, your, this, is this week, right? This is something to start this week. Any time that we are together, for whatever reason, make it a point to find time to pray. And as you're praying, these are some specific things you can pray for. Number one, pray for the elders and deacons of our congregation. Pray that we have wisdom and courage and vision to lead our congregation. Pray specifically over the next couple of weeks for Ian. Always pray for Ian. Always pray for the evangelists in the work that they do, but specifically pray for the upcoming singing instruction event that we have planned. Pray, pray for its success. And I'm going to ask Ian when he's up here on Wednesday night talking to us from Acts chapter 20 that he, uh, he gives us specific things that we can pray about concerning that work. As you have time, do you, does everybody have our, our directory app on your phone? If you have the directory app on your phone, this week as you have time, pull up that app and go through every name and thank God for every person on that list and pray for every person on that list as you have time. And finally, in all your prayers, pray for those who are lost. <clears throat> we are called to the mission of carrying the gospel to the world. Let's pray for success and opportunities to carry out that mission. Never knowing the minds of those present, <clears throat> the invitation is always open for those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, and desire to be united with Him, to obey Him in baptism, be, to be born again into His family, to have the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. We can assist you with that this morning, or if we can assist you in prayers, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.